Welcome to Get Smart Politics. This is your political cheat sheet for the week of Monday, June 27th, 2022. We are getting a little bit closer to that November midterm election. We're 19 weeks away and we're 29 months from the 2024 presidential election. I'm here with Eric, the author of Get Smart Politics, and we're going to go over the top three storylines for this week. Um, The first two obviously have to do with some Supreme Court decisions. Eric, talk to me about Dobbs, and I think there's one thing that's sort of a misconception about this case, so tell me what that is. Yeah, I think it's nobody's no surprise to anybody that this week's top story is the Dobbs case, which overrules Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. The key thing to keep in mind is the Dobbs decision does not outlaw abortion in the United States. What it does do is it says that states now have the ability to decide whether or not abortion should be legal or not in their state. So it was uh, basically taking it out of the federal realm and putting it back on the states and making each state decide individually. And many, many states had trigger laws in effect where they automatically or immediately banned abortion in that state. So it is illegal now in in half the country. I mean, it's a lot of states. A large number of states. I don't have the number off uh, offhand, but there are quite a few, especially red states, of course, that had already passed trigger laws. They basically saw Dobbs coming. They knew that this was on its way um, soon, if not this case. They felt like it might be in the next term or two. And so they passed these laws saying if the uh, the Roe regime gets overruled um, and invalidated, then these laws would snap into place and immediately outlaw abortion. Some of them have more um, safe harbors than others, uh, exceptions for rape, incest, life of the mother, things like that. Some of them don't. So there's going to be a lot more litigation uh, going on between uh, now and when this all gets settled. There's going to be many, many more cases. I think just as historic as um, Roe was, this is another big moment in history that we're all going to kind of remember where we were when this happened. Right. And that's what I point out in today's newsletter is we don't know a lot of what the fallout's going to be over this. Everybody's trying to predict how's this going to affect the election in November How's it going to affect the next couple of presidential elections? And honestly, we just don't know. This is just what we do know is this is a huge moment in American politics. And I think you just need to remember what you're feeling. Write it down in a journal if you need to, to uh, keep in mind your feelings and your thoughts, because you'll be thinking back to this week for years to come. One thing I know for sure is that it is more bad news for Biden. I mean, I don't think that guy can catch a break. I haven't seen him catch one in a long time. Unfortunately for him, just politically um, setting aside the uh, the substance, it's just yet another piece of bad news in a, the longest string of bad news for a single president I've seen in a long time. So our second story is something that kind of got overlooked because Dobbs took over the news cycle um, last week. But there was another Supreme Court decision that was released um, and a bill that was signed into law. So tell me about that. Right. So we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about this bipartisan gun reform legislation that uh, the group of 20 senators has been working on and trying to put the meat on the bones of the framework. Honestly, it was really shocking how quickly they were able to do that and with how little disagreement. Once they finally got the text put together, the Senate voted on it almost immediately to the point where some senators were actually complaining that they didn't have a 
full chance to read the text of the bill, uh, which is pretty surprising for something this large and, and that's been uh, that people have been waiting on for this many years. So they ended up uh, passing it through the Senate very quickly, sending it over to the House. There was even speculation the house would take quite a while to look it over and make amendments they sure did not 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 a bit they passed it right away yeah and they had we talked about they had the deadline of june 24th that they wanted to get this through and it went through on june 24th yeah and when they said that originally i just kind of laughed because they never set a deadline that close and hit it there's a million reasons to um to extend beyond that and i really felt like they probably would and ultimately they were able to push it and get it done this week so they passed that uh, out of the house um, and then sent it straight to the president's desk without having to go back to the senate for amendments so that's why that legislation was able to get signed into law on Saturday, so it is now it is now law, um, and that is about the fastest you'll ever see any big piece of legislation move. Yeah, and it's groundbreaking because it's been so long since we've had gun reform bill, and then it went through so quickly. So I think that's another historic moment that we've had just in the past week. Yeah, and I'll run through the couple of things, the, the handful of things that the bill does include. It expands the background checks for 18 to 21-year-old buyers. It funds mental health and drug courts. Um, it encourages red flag laws by sending money to states if they enact them or if they follow certain uh, guidelines. It tightens some gun trafficking and straw purchasing laws, and it tightens what's been called the boyfriend loophole. So a lot of different pieces there, individual pieces. However, it really didn't capture the the big uh, the big wins that the Democrats were hoping for. It's an incremental thing. The, the, my takeaway from this though, is that I really feel like this is pretty much all they're going to get. All the Democrats are going to get out of gun reform for, I would guess a decade. I think this is about the biggest bite of the apple they're going to have. And if they come back for another round, Republicans are going to say, Hey, look, we gave you a, a compromise bill. We already passed it. It's part of law. Don't come back asking for more now. We did the the low hanging fruit, if if you will. So um, I I honestly feel like this really takes the issue legislatively off the table for quite some time. And we also saw this this week, the day before the Dobbs decision came out on Thursday, um, another uh, big what probably would have been the biggest case of the year if it weren't for Dobbs, uh, and it was relating to guns as well. Okay, and then the third story. Um... Did we talk about this last week, the fuel tax? Or I feel like there was another um, email that you sent out last week about it. Yeah, that, that's what it was. Is um, I did send out an email last week because this had sort of been rumored for a little while that the president was considering suspending the gas tax for a period of time to try to give some relief to consumers. And on Wednesday, he released that proposal. So I did send out a little analysis, which is linked in today's newsletter. If you'd like to go take a look at it, it's pretty short. Uh, but it has a couple of graphs to kind of show exactly how much this would impact your wallet if it were to happen. Um, (laughs) Spoiler alert, it's not going to happen. The president suggested suspending this gas tax for three months. It's 18.4 cents per gallon is the federal gas tax. The thing is, though, this was just absolutely dead on arrival when it got to Capitol Hill, um, which it's kind of shocking how poorly this was rolled out by the Biden administration. They didn't seem to have even checked with or t- or run this by the people who needed to to get the approval from on Capitol Hill. Speaker Pelosi gave it this really lukewarm reception saying, yeah, we'll take a look at it and uh, we'll we'll follow what the conference says that they want to do. 
what the what the House says they want to do. So she didn't even say, yes, we're behind you, Mr. President, of, of her own party. And that's typically something that the White House would do, is make sure that you have the full support of your leaders in Congress. And clearly they did not do that. If they did do that, that's almost worse, because this is just a terrible uh, reception. And Senator Manchin on, in, the, uh, in the Senate said he is not going to vote for this if it do, does come up. So bottom line, it's not going to happen. And with all the other news last week, President Biden didn't even get a PR bump out of this. So bottom line, this was a big dud and really hurt him. Yeah, I, in my opinion, which no one asked for, I think Biden was just giving a half-hearted attempt to try to appease constituents. And it just, it did not work out at all. Plus, it's yeah. very little savings at the pump. And even Obama is quoted um, from his tenure saying that it's a terrible idea. So. Yeah, he said it's a political gimmick. Yeah. That that's all it is. Which it is. It, it I, is. And I think that's what most people were saying. Obviously, on the right, that's what they were saying. But even a lot of people on the left were saying that. Like, this, there's a lot of downsides to suspending the gas tax. Like, you know, you don't collect the gas tax. And that actually is used to repair roads and bridges. It goes into the Highway Trust Fund. And it would cause um, an estimated $20 billion shortfall that we would then have to fill from somewhere else. Plus, if you decrease the price of gas, what does that do? It increases demand. Um, because there's, uh, you know, it's cheaper. So people are less likely to cut their spending, cut their driving. So it actually exacerbates the problem of a shortage of fuel, which is the problem here. So all, all around, it just really didn't make a lot of sense, either economically or politically. And um, it's, if this is the best, uh, the best that the president has to offer to solve that problem, it's not a very good one. And um, he really did not get much positive out of this. Well, not surprising, um, Biden's polling is down 3.4% this week. It just keeps getting worse. Yeah, and you know, if you look at the trends over the past uh, couple of months, month and a half, you can just start to see uh, it's widening a little bit, the positive and negative polling. Um, he continues to have his approval rate go down and his disapproval rate go up. And it just seems like there's no turnaround, no end in sight. And it's that compounding bad news after bad news after bad news continuing to weigh on his approval ratings. So this week, Biden is headed to the G7 summit in Germany and the NATO summit in Spain. So he'll be out of the country until Thursday. Um, as we kind of touched on, the House and the Senate are in recess. Um, that's why they wanted to get that gun bill through on June 24th is they're off for the Independence Day holiday. Um, we've got a ton of primaries this week. Give me, you know, two or three that you're really wanting to pay attention to. Sure. And this is the last round of primaries for a while. We really don't have much until August. So if you want to see the more full breakdown, go look at the newsletter itself. Um, there are going to be primaries in Colorado, Illinois, New York, Oklahoma, Utah, and then runoffs in Mississippi and South Carolina tomorrow. Um, but yeah, just we'll just go through a couple of these in the Oklahoma Senate race. This is the. There are two Senate races in Oklahoma. I covered this in a previous post that you've probably seen on Get Smart Politics, and go back and read it if you're interested um, to see what's going to happen tomorrow. But this is the race to replace Sen retiring Senator Jim Inhofe. Um, it's a like seven, eight, nine way primary, depending on how you who you think is competitive. Um, whoever wins this, there most of the candidates that are at the top of the polls are 
pretty young. They're pretty likely to be there for another three or four decades if they win. So it is actually pretty consequential who wins this primary. I think Mark Wayne Mullen is likely to win it. He's the congressman from eastern Oklahoma, been there about 10 years or so, and um, has been having a pretty big lead so far. The big question is, does he get to 50 percent or not? Uh, If he doesn't, then he has to go into a runoff and anything can happen in a runoff. Uh, The last one I'll touch on is in Mississippi, the runoffs there uh, that are happening tomorrow. There are two different incumbents that have been drawn into a runoff, uh, into two separate runoffs, I should say, in their districts. And they've they've really had trouble getting traction and fending off challenges, uh, partially because of some scandals. But that's um, Congressman Michael Guest and then Congressman Stephen Palazzo. Both of them are going to be um, hard-pressed to win these because I think that they both have some big baggage that has been haunting them, and uh, it'll be not surprising at all if they lose those primaries tomorrow. Now, both of them are very heavily Republican districts, so whoever does win the primary runoff uh, will most likely go on to be the member of Congress, so it's not really a pickup possibility. It's more, uh, is this incumbent going to survive or not? Okay, I'm going to pay you a really big compliment. Are you ready? <laughs> I guess. I don't take compliments that well, but I, I appreciate it. I think we need to get you a whiteboard and some new khakis because I think you're giving Steve Kornacki a run for his money. <laughs> oh, boy. You uh, know I a, love Steve thing? Kornacki. Uh, okay. Well, I'll He's take my it. favorite nerd on television. <laughs> well, thank you, I suppose. I appreciate that. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.